I'm going to have you turn that monitor off. Thank you. I appreciate that. This morning we return to our study of First Peter chap, or excuse me, of the book of First Peter. After taking a break, we took a break for Christmas. Then I did a couple of New Year focused messages, and then last week, of course, we celebrated Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. So we return now to our study of First Peter chapter. Three is where we are in our study, and we'll be looking at the first six verses this morning of 1 Peter 3. This is a passage that is directed towards wives in a very special way. And so for all of you wives and for all of you single ladies who desire to be wives, I would encourage you to pay very special attention. This, of course, is for all of us, but there is a special emphasis here. Now, next week, the emphasis will be on husbands. So this week, wives, next week, husbands. And so there will be equal treatment here of the important relationships that God has ordained for the home. And it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, Peter writes, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, some of you ladies may recognize this because it is a passage that I preached on on Mother's Day in May of 2014, so about a year and a half ago. And we come to it in our ongoing study here. I'm going to take a little different approach to the passage this morning, but if you remember that message, there is inevitably some overlapping from what I taught on before because it is the same passage. But our first point this morning is likewise. As we approach 1 Peter chapter 3, our minds should immediately be drawn to the very first word, likewise. Likewise, wives. And when you study the Bible, and if you are a diligent student of the Bible and you see a word, a transitional word like likewise, you should immediately ask yourself, what came before this? Likewise compared to what? And so that is very important here, and Peter is talking about what he has just taught in chapter 2. And in chapter 2, we see Peter talking about the importance of submission, submission to authority in all areas of life. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 
verses 13 and 14, it says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So we are, as Christians, for the sake of our honor of God and for the sake of our testimony to God, we are to submit, for God's sake, to human government. In verse 18 of chapter 2, it says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. As Christians, for the sake of our testimony, in, the, in order to honor God, we are to submit to our employers, not just to those who are good, but even to those who are unjust and unfair. And for those Christians who say, I just don't know if I can do these things, I just don't know if this is possible, Peter then points us to the supreme example of how to do this, and that is Jesus Christ himself. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, in verses 21 through 23, it says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So to every brother in Christ, to every sister in Christ, Peter says, follow in his steps. Follow in the steps of Jesus. He is the supreme example of what it means to exercise godly submission. I loved what one writer said. We are called to do these things to silence the critics of our faith. Those who would want to criticize our faith are silenced because they see our good behavior in every area of life in the home and in every aspect of society. And with that in mind, Peter says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Again, we're going to see in chapter, excuse me, verse 7 next week, likewise, husbands. But here it is, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. It literally means be submissive to your own husbands. And we need to be reminded often that the word submission, as used in Scripture, is a beautiful word. And that is important for us because in our culture it is a very negative word with all kinds of negative connotations. And we need to put that aside when we study the Word of God. Submission, as used here, is a beautiful thing. Submission does not imply any moral, intellectual, or spiritual inferiority. It doesn't mean you are morally, intellectually, or spiritually inferior to the person you are submitting to. It doesn't mean that at all. In fact, you may be more intelligent. You may be more capable. You may be more talented than the person that you are submitting to. It is a beautiful thing in the sight of God 
in the home and in all areas of life. It is God's design for roles necessary for mankind's well-being. Without authority and submission, mankind could not function properly. In submission to government, submission to employers, submission in the home, submission in all other areas of life. There is, if exercised properly, a godly authority and a godly submission. The focus here is on the home, and it reminds us of Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 22 through 24, that very well-known and important passage where Paul says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his, bu- excuse me, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And Paul and Peter are both talking about a beautiful, voluntary, submission. It is a submission that seeks to glorify God by honoring God's design for the world and God's design for the home. That's what we do when we follow these teachings. Again, let's say that I am in a particular position in a business out there. And I have a supervisor. And it may be that I am more intelligent than my supervisor. I may be more talented than my supervisor. In some ways, I may be more capable than my supervisor. But as a Christian, as a man of God, I am called to submit to him or to her, whomever may be in authority over me. And in that, I exercise godly submission and follow God's pattern and design. Ladies, it is very possible that you may be more intelligent than your husband. Maybe you are more talented than your husband. Maybe you are more capable than your husband. But that does not exempt you or exclude you from this teaching. You are to submit to your husband's hopefully godly, wonderful authority that we'll learn about next week. But God wants you to submit to his spiritual leadership. And for any person, again, who says, I just don't know if I can do this. That's more than I can handle. Our supreme example is Jesus himself. God the Son willingly submitted himself to God the Father. That is very important for us, not only as a principle, but it is important for us theologically because there have been some groups over the years who have taught that because God the Son was submissive to God the Father, therefore the Son is inferior to the Father. And folks, that's heresy. That is false teaching. Jesus is God of very God. He is co-equal with the Father, but within the triune Godhead, within the roles of the the Trinity, Jesus, God the Son, willingly submits himself to God the Father. 
Now, this is all so important for us because this passage teaches us that a woman can have a powerful influence on her husband by the beauty of her inward adornment, that she can have a powerful influence in his life by the beauty of her inward adornment. It says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. When they, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Interesting verse. It says, if some do not obey the word, it literally means if your husband is a gospel rejecter. That's what it means. If your husband does not know Christ, if he has rejected the gospel, he may be one without a word by the conduct of his wife. Wow. That's how important your respectful and pure conduct is. Now, don't misunderstand what Peter is saying. This does not mean that an unbelieving husband can be one without hearing the gospel. That's not what it's saying. He must hear the gospel. Anyone must hear the gospel in order to be saved. But it does mean this. It does mean that your behavior in the home day after day over a long period of time can so adorn the gospel can make the gospel appear so beautiful, can so confound your husband that he's thinking, what makes her live this way? What makes her react this way that God can use that to open his heart to the gospel? John MacArthur has a wonderful quote on this. This is what he says. Peter's point here is that the wife's godly behavior is the most valuable testimony to open the husband's heart to the gospel. He will need to hear the words of salvation, perhaps from her, but, but it will be as he is able to observe her submission as a faithful wife that she truly commends the gospel to him. How a believer lives in that most intimate relationship helps make the grace of Christ believable. A lovely, gracious, and submissive attitude is the most effective evangelistic tool believing wives have. I want you to think about that. A wife's godly behavior is the most valuable testimony she has to open the husband's heart to the gospel. A lovely, gracious, and submissive attitude is the most effective evangelistic tool believing wives have. Now, I also believe there is a principle here that also applies to believing husbands. It is not unusual within the, within the context of any church that some Christian wives are frustrated with their Christian husband. Maybe he's not the spiritual leader that he should be. Maybe he's not taking responsibility in the home that he should be. Ladies, please don't miss this this morning. 
1 Peter 3, 1 through 6 is how you influence your husband. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 6 is how you influence your husband. I'm going to say something that I shared on Mother's Day a year and a half ago that I think is very important, ladies, and it is this. And again, I'm going to share something similar with the guys next week. This passage is a strong warning against nagging, preaching, and lecturing your husband. Let me say that again. This passage is a strong warning to every wife against nagging, preaching, and lecturing your husband. That is not how you influence him. You influence him with your respectful and pure conduct. I want to touch on a very sensitive subject here. Over the years, from time to time, there are situations that I fully understand. Wives have an unbelieving husband, or they have a husband who isn't the spiritual leader he should be, isn't taking responsibility in the home the way he should be. And often those wives will say, boy, there ought to be some men in the church who befriend him. There ought to be some men in the church who help him out. Where are those men? Where are the men that will help my husband? Help my husband hear the gospel or help my husband to be discipled. And that's good. I do think men ought to take responsibility to help other men. I'm all for that, ladies. But while you're asking those questions, ask yourself, how are you doing in the home? How is your conduct in the home? Are you adorning the gospel? Are you adorning the word of God by your conduct? Or have you become your husband's biggest critic, one of the most negative influences in his life? And that leads us wonderfully to the second point this morning, and that is the power of inward adornment. A woman of God is to focus her attention on the inner beauty that only God can provide, an adornment that brings him glory and praise. The attention of a godly woman is to be primarily on that inner beauty that only God can provide, an adornment that brings him, that exalts him, that brings him glory and praise. In verses 3 and 4 it says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Remember, husbands are to see their wives respectful and pure conduct. And Peter says here that a Christian woman's main focus is not to be outward adornment. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. What Peter is saying here, if you study this passage, is he is saying the way to honor God and the way to influence your husband 
is not primarily by the way you dress. It's not wearing expensive clothes. It's not wearing expensive jewelry. It's not having expensive hairstyles. In the Roman world at this time, it was not unusual for wealthy women to dye their hair multiple colors and to have long braids which they then put on top of their heads. And if you've ever studied the background here, you'll know that the jewelry at that time in history was worn in the hair. So they would have these elaborate hairstyles with all kinds of expensive jewelry placed in the hair, all kinds of expensive makeup and all kinds of expensive clothing. And Peter is saying, ladies, that is not how you influence your husband. That is not how you honor God with your life. Your primary focus ought not to be your outward adornment. Now, I need to say something here. Because this passage throughout church history has, by some groups, been terribly abused. Because Peter says that, some groups have taught that women should only dress in a plain and drab way. They shouldn't care at all about style. And that's not what Peter's saying. He's just saying don't let the extravagance of that be your primary focus or to think that with that is how you influence your husband or honor God. Ladies, it is also possible to go to the other extreme and look so plain and so drab that that's discouraging to your husband. This is not some kind of warning against dressing stylishly. This does not mean that a Christian woman cannot be stylish or fashionable. She can be. Yes, you can, ladies. Many examples of this in the Bible. We think, or we talk often of the Proverbs 31 woman. Did you know in Proverbs 31 it says that she dresses herself in fine linen and purple? She is dressed very fashionably. The bride in the Song of Solomon was beautifully adorned. Again, John MacArthur writes this, It is certainly possible for a woman's appearance to be so unkempt and unadorned as to embarrass and discourage her husband, to whom such indifference in the name of Christ would make the gospel offensive and be just as spiritually detrimental as too much attention given to externals. The Lord is most pleased when a believing woman's modest yet thoughtful and lovely adornment reflects the inner beauty Christ has fashioned in her. I couldn't say it better than that. That's exactly what Peter is saying. The Lord is most pleased when a believing woman's modest yet thoughtful and lovely adornment reflects the inner beauty Christ has fashioned in her. So don't go to one extreme or the other extreme, but dress modestly, fashionably, and in such a way that it brings out the inner beauty of Christ in you. But it's verse 4 that is really at the center and heartbeat of this passage. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, 
which in God's sight is very precious. I don't know about you, but when the Bible says that something is precious in God's sight, that draws and grabs my attention. Oh, ladies, let your adorning be the imperishable, the unfading, the eternal beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Gentle here means patient submission. It, mean, it is the picture of a wife who is patiently submissive with her husband. Right now, he's not getting it. Right now, he's not changing much. But she doesn't give up. She perseveres. She is patiently submissive. A quiet spirit refers to the word tranquility. It means, or it is the picture of a lake where there is no wind, and it looks like glass. It is completely calm. It is the picture of a woman exuding calmness. Her home may be hectic. Her schedule may be busy. But in the midst of all of it, she is exuding this patient submission and this calmness before her husband and for, before her family. And this in God's sight is very, very precious. Well, now Peter gives us an example. He takes us from the principle to an example of this. The holy women of the Bible are described as holy women who hoped in God. In verse 5 we read, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. So catch the flow here. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious for this, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Holy women are distinct from the world and precious in God's sight. And as we have seen, they are also a powerful, powerful influence, excuse me, on their husbands. And so Peter's desire, ladies, is that you would follow the example of the holy women of old. The holy women of old rejoiced in the sovereign rule of God. The holy women of old found their rest in the firm and powerful hands of their faithful creator. John Piper, in his sermon on this text, says that the holy women of old used to preach to themselves. And he uses this example. They would preach to themselves a passage like Psalm 42, verses 5 and 6. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. It is the lady who says to herself, Why are you downcast, my soul? Why are you in turmoil, my soul? Put your hope in God. And Peter's Example, his specific example of a holy woman of God is Sarah. 
Abraham's wife. Now, from January of 2014 to September of 2014, I did an entire series of sermons on the life of Abraham. Some of you may remember that. And you will remember that when we came to that famous passage in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 18, Sarah and Abraham are in their tent and they are visited by three men, three unusual, amazing men. One was the Lord himself and the other two were angels. And they come and they tell Abraham that Sarah is going to bear him a child, an heir, a son in his old age. Sarah overhears that conversation and she laughs and God rebukes her right there on the spot. God rebukes her and she says, well, I wasn't laughing. And he goes, oh, yes, you were. The one who discerns the depths of the hearts and mind knew Sarah was laughing and he rebukes her. But then we learned that over time, Sarah regained her confidence. She regained her strong faith in the Lord and put her hope in him alone. Sarah finished well in life. She had her moments of weakness, but she finished well, so that in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 11, she is included in the great hall of faith, where it says, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, past the age of childbearing. Now watch this, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Yes, she put her hope in God. She considered God faithful in what he had promised. And so it says, Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. She willingly, beautifully, voluntarily submitted to Abraham and sought to live a life of pure and respectful conduct before her husband. Sarah had the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And it says this, all the holy women in all ages are Sarah's children. Do you see that? That very last sentence in our text, and you are her children, ladies. You are her children if, if you do if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. That's quite a phrase. It is a call to the women of God to do good deeds and not to fear anything. Isn't that interesting? And not to fear anything that is frightening. Doesn't mean there aren't things that are frightening. The thought here is, is there is a, a wife, a mother, and yes, she's concerned about the direction of our culture, She's concerned about the dangers that her children will face out in this world. But she is not afraid. She is not afraid, not because she's foolish, not because she's hiding her head in the sand. No, she does not fear because her hope is in God. She does not fear anything that is frightening because her hope and her, conference, or her confidence is in the sovereign providential God of heaven and earth. 
John Piper says this. This is not on the screen, so just listen. He has a wonderful quote on this. He says, Women who hope in God are women who look away from the troubles and miseries and obstacles and obstacles of life that seem to make the future bleak, and they focus their attention on the sovereign power and love of God who rules in heaven and does on earth whatever he pleases. The daughters of Sarah do not fear anything except displeasing God. Or to be more accurate, the daughters of Sarah fight the anxiety that arises in their hearts. They wage war on fear. And they defeat it with the promises of God. They defeat fear with the promises of God. Why is 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 6 important for wives? Well, it's important because this is God's design for you. It is important because God says that this is very precious in his sight. But there's another reason it is important, and that is this passage and what it teaches is open to all wives of all backgrounds. And I love that. Whomever you are here today as a wife or as a single lady desiring to be a wife, this is open to you. You can be a daughter of Sarah. You can be the woman of a gentle and quiet spirit, a woman who is respectful and pure in her conduct. I don't care how much money you make or how little money you make. I don't care how beautiful you may be or not attractive you may be or see yourself that way. I don't care how much education you may have or little education you may have. This is open to all of you. You can be this woman. There are no barriers except knowing Christ as Savior. I love that it is open to every single one of you ladies here today. You can be this woman. And I think we need to hear that. I appreciate going from time to time to men's conferences. I appreciate the fact that there are women's conferences that are out there with some dynamic speakers. But sometimes we go to those conferences and we hear these speakers and they seem to have it all together, and we think, I could never be like him. I could never be like her. You can be a holy woman of God. You can be a woman, no matter who you are, who is precious in God's sight. If you put your hope in God, if you seek to be respectful and pure in conduct, if you adorn the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, if you gladly, joyfully, and voluntarily submit to your husband, you, yes, you, will be very precious, a wife who is very precious in God's sight. This is a wife who treasures Christ and loves him more than life itself. This is a woman. This is a wife who treasures Christ and loves him 
more than life itself. If you love Christ, if you obey Christ, if you honor Christ, if you live for Christ, you can be a woman who is very, very precious in God's sight. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for all of us as we learn from this passage, but especially for our ladies this morning. Lord, I pray that they would long to be this kind of woman. I pray that you would impress upon them that this is the word of God, that this is the heart of God for them. Lord, however weak they may feel, however inadequate they may feel this morning, oh, encourage their hearts. Help them to believe that in Jesus, by the indwelling Holy Spirit, they can be this woman, that they can be very precious in your sight. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.